Section 14 of Volume 1E of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1E section fourteen chapter fifty three part two the treacherous the cruel the unrelenting philip accompanied with all the terrors of a spanish inquisition was scarcely during the preceding century opposed in the low countries with more determined fury than was now by the scots the mild the humane charles attended with his inoffensive liturgy the king began to apprehend the consequences he sent the marquis of hamilton as commissioner with authority to treat with the covenanters he required the covenant to be renounced and recalled and he thought that on his part he had made very satisfactory concessions when he offered to suspend the canons and the liturgy till in a fair and legal way they could be received and so to model the high commission that it should no longer give offence to his subjects such general declarations could not well give content to any much less to those who carried so much higher their pretensions the covenanters found themselves seconded by the zeal of the whole nation above sixty thousand people were assembled in a tumultuous manner in edinburgh and the neighbourhood charles possessed no regular forces in either of his kingdom and the discontents of england though secret were believed so violent that the king it was thought would find it very difficult to employ in such a cause the power of that kingdom the more therefore the popular leaders in scotland considered their situation the less apprehension did they entertain of royal power and the more rigorously did they insist on entire satisfaction in answer to hamilton's demand of renouncing the covenant they plainly told him that they would sooner renounce their baptism and the clergy invited the commissioner himself to subscribe it by informing him with what peace and comfort it has filled the hearts of all god's people what resolutions and beginnings of reformation of manners were sensibly perceived in all parts of the nation above any measure they had ever before found or could have expected how great glory the lord had received thereby and what confidence they had that god would make scotland a blessed kingdom hamilton returned to london made another fruitless journey with new concessions to edinburgh returned again to london and was immediately sent back with still more satisfactory concessions the king was now willing entirely to abolish the canons the liturgy and the high commission court he was even resolved to limit extremely the power of the bishops and was content if on any terms he could retain that order in the church of scotland and to ensure all these gracious offers he gave hamilton authority to summon first an assembly then a parliament where every national grievance might be redressed and remedied these successive concessions of the king which yet came still short of the rising demands of the malcontents discovered his own weakness encouraged their insolence and gave no satisfaction the offer however of an assembly and a parliament 
in which they expected to be entirely masters, was willingly embraced by the Covenanters. Charles, perceiving what advantage his enemies had reaped from their covenant, resolved to have a covenant on his side, and he ordered one to be drawn up for that purpose. It consisted of the same violent renunciation of popery above mentioned, which, though the king did not approve of it, he thought it safest to adopt in order to remove all the suspicions entertained against him. As the Covenanters, in their bond of mutual defence against all opposition, had been careful not to accept the king, Charles had formed a bond which was annexed to his renunciation, and which expressed the duty and loyalty of the subscribers to his majesty. But the Covenanters, perceiving that this new covenant was only meant to weaken and divide them, received it with the utmost scorn and detestation and without delay they proceeded to model the future assembly from which such great achievements were expected. The genius of that religion which prevailed in Scotland, and which every day was secretly gaining ground in England, was far from inculcating deference and submission to the ecclesiastics merely as such, or rather by nourishing in every individual the highest raptures and ecstasies of devotion, it consecrated in a manner every individual, and in his own eyes bestowed a character on him much superior to what forms and ceremonious institutions could alone confer. The clergy of Scotland, though such tumult, was excited about religious worship and discipline, were both poor and in small numbers, nor are they in general to be considered, at least in the beginning, as the ringleaders of the sedition which was raised on their account. On the contrary, the laity, apprehending from several instances which occurred a spirit of moderation in that order, resolved to domineer entirely in the assembly which was summoned, and to hurry on the ecclesiastics by the same furious zeal with which they were themselves transported. It had been usual, before the establishment of prelacy, for each presbytery to send to the assembly, besides two or three ministers, one lay commissioner, and, as all the boroughs and universities sent likewise commissioners, the lay members in that ecclesiastical court nearly equaled the ecclesiastics. Not only this institution, which James, apprehensive of zeal in the laity, had abolished, was now revived by the covenanters. They also introduced an innovation which served still further to reduce the clergy to subjection. By an edict of the tables, whose authority was supreme, an elder from each parish was ordered to attend the presbytery and to give his vote in the choice both of the commissioners and ministers who should be deputed to the assembly. As it is not usual for the ministers, who are put in the list of candidates, to claim a vote, all the elections by that means fell into the hands of the laity, the most furious of all ranks were chosen, and the more to overawe the clergy a new device was fallen upon, of choosing to every commissioner four or five lay assessors, who, though they could have no vote, might yet interpose with their advice and authority in the assembly. The assembly met at Glasgow, and besides a great concourse of the people, all the nobility and gentry of any family or interest were present, either as members, assessors or spectators, 
and it was apparent that the resolutions taken by the covenanters could here meet with no manner of opposition a firm determination had been entered into of utterly abolishing episcopacy and as a preparative to it there was laid before the presbytery of edinburgh and solemnly read in all the churches of the kingdom an accusation against the bishops as guilty all of them of heresy simony bribery perjury cheating incest adultery fornication common swearing drunkenness gaming breach of the sabbath and every other crime that had occurred to the accusers the bishops sent a protest declining the authority of the assembly the commissioner too protested against the court as illegally constituted and elected and in his majesty's name dissolved it this measure was foreseen and little regarded the court still continued to sit and to finish their business all the acts of assembly since the accession of james to the crown of england were upon pretty reasonable grounds declared null and invalid the acts of parliament which affected ecclesiastical affairs were supposed on that very account to have no manner of authority and thus episcopacy the high commission the articles of perth the canons and the liturgy were abolished and declared unlawful and the whole fabric which james and charles in a long course of years had been rearing with so much care and policy fell at once to the ground the covenant likewise was ordered to be signed by every one under pain of excommunication the independency of the ecclesiastical upon the civil power was the old presbyterian principle which had been zealously adopted at the reformation and which though james and charles had obliged the church publicly to disclaim it had secretly been adhered to by all ranks of people it was commonly asked whether christ or the king were superior and as the answer seemed obvious it was inferred that the assembly being christ's council was superior in all spiritual matters to the parliament which was only the king's but as the covenanters were sensible that this consequence though it seemed to them irrefragable would not be assented to by the king it became necessary to maintain their religious tenets by military force and not to trust entirely to supernatural assistance of which however they held themselves well assured they cast their eyes on all sides abroad and at home whence ever they could expect any aid or support after france and holland had entered into a league against spain and framed a treaty of partition by which they were to conquer and to divide between them the low country provinces england was invited to preserve a neutrality between the contending parties while the french and dutch should attack the maritime towns of flanders but the king replied to destratus the french ambassador who opened the proposal that he had a squadron ready and would cross the seas if necessary with an army of fifteen thousand men in order to prevent these projected conquests this answer which proves that charles though he expressed his mind with an imprudent candour had at last acquired a just idea of national interest irritated cardinal richelieu and in revenge that politic and enterprising minister carefully fomented the first commotions in scotland and secretly supplied the covenanters with money and arms in order to encourage them in their opposition against their sovereign but the chief resource of the scottish malcontents was in themselves and in their own vigour and abilities no regular established commonwealth could take juster measures or execute them with greater promptitude 
than did this tumultuous combination inflamed with bigotry for religious trifles and faction without a reasonable object the whole kingdom was in a manner engaged and the men of greatest abilities soon acquired the ascendant which their family interest enabled them to maintain the earl of argyle though he long seemed to temporize had at last embraced the covenant and he became the chief leader of that party a man equally supple and inflexible cautious and determined and entirely qualified to make a figure during a factious and turbulent period the earls of roth castles montrose lothian and the lords of lindsay luden yester balmerino distinguished themselves in that party many scotch officers had acquired reputation in the german wars particularly under gustavus and these were invited over to assist their country in her present necessity the command was entrusted to leslie a soldier of experience and abilities forces were regularly enlisted and disciplined arms were commissioned and imported from foreign countries a few castles which belonged to the king being unprovided with victuals ammunition and garrisons were soon seized and the whole country except a small part where the marquis of huntley still adhered to the king being in the hands of the covenanters was in a very little time put in a tolerable posture of defence the fortifications of leith were begun and carried on with great rapidity besides the inferior sort and those who laboured for pay incredible numbers of volunteers even noblemen and gentlemen put their hand to the work and deemed the most abject employment to be dignified by the sanctity of the cause women too of rank and condition forgetting the delicacy of their sex and the decorum of their character were intermingled with the lowest rabble and carried on their shoulders the rubbish requisite for completing the fortifications we must not omit another auxiliary of the covenanters and no inconsiderable one a prophetess who was much followed and admired by all ranks of people her name was michelson a woman full of whimsies partly hysterical partly religious and inflamed with a zealous concern for the ecclesiastical discipline of the presbyterians she spoke at certain times only and had often interruptions of days and weeks but when she began to renew her ecstasies warning of the happy event was conveyed over the whole country thousands crowded about her house and every word which she uttered was received with veneration as the most sacred oracles the covenant was her perpetual theme the true genuine covenant she said was ratified in heaven the king's covenant was an invention of satan when she spoke of christ she usually gave him the name of the covenanting jesus rollo a popular preacher and zealous covenanter was her great favorite and paid her on his part no less veneration being desired by the spectators to pray with her and speak to her he answered that he durst not and that it would be ill manners in him to speak while his master christ was speaking in her charles had agreed to reduce episcopal authority so much that it would no longer have been any service to support the crown and this sacrifice of his own interest he was willing to make in order to attain public peace and tranquillity but he could not consent entirely to abolish an order which he thought as essential to the being of a christian church as his scottish subjects deemed it incompatible with that sacred institution this narrowness of mind if we would be impartial we must either blame or excuse equally on both sides and thereby anticipate by a little reflection 
that judgment which time by introducing new subjects of controversy will undoubtedly render quite familiar to posterity so great was charles's aversion to violent and sanguinary measures and so strong his affection to his native kingdom that it is probable the contest in his breast would be nearly equal between these laudable passions and his attachment to the hierarchy the latter affection however prevailed for the time and made him hasten those military preparations which he had projected for subduing the refractory spirit of the scottish nation by regular economy he had not only paid all the debts contracted during the spanish and french wars but had amassed a sum of two hundred thousand pounds which he reserved for any sudden exigency the queen had great interest with the catholics both from the sympathy of religion and from the favors and indulgences which she had been able to procure them she now employed her credit and persuaded them that it was reasonable to give large contributions as a mark of their duty to the king during this urgent necessity a considerable supply was obtained by this means to the great scandal of the puritans who were offended at seeing the king on such good terms with the papists and repined that others should give what they themselves were disposed to refuse him charles fleet was formidable and well supplied having put five thousand land forces on board he entrusted it to the marquis of hamilton who had orders to sail to the firth of forth and to cause a diversion in the forces of the malcontents an army was levied of near twenty thousand foot and above three thousand horse and was put under the command of the earl of arundel a nobleman of great family but celebrated neither for military or political abilities the earl of essex a man of strict honor and extremely popular especially among the soldiery was appointed lieutenant-general the earl of holland was general of the horse the king himself joined the army and he summoned all the peers of england to attend him the whole had the appearance of a splendid court rather than of a military armament and in this situation carrying more show than real force with it the camp arrived at berwick the scottish army was as numerous as that of the king but inferior in cavalry the officers had more reputation and experience and the soldiers though undisciplined and ill-armed were animated as well by the national aversion to england and the dread of becoming a province to their old enemy as by an unsurmountable fervor of religion the pulpits had extremely assisted the officers in levying recruits and had thundered out anathemas against all those who went not out to assist the lord against the mighty yet so prudent were the leaders of the malcontents that they immediately sent submissive messages to the king and craved to be admitted to a treaty charles knew that the force of the covenanters was considerable their spirits high their zeal furious and that as they were not yet daunted by any ill success no reasonable terms could be expected from them with regard therefore to a treaty great difficulties occurred on both sides should he submit to the pretensions of the malcontents besides that the prelacy must be sacrificed to their religious prejudices such a check would be given to royal authority which had very lately and with much difficulty been thoroughly established in scotland that he must expect ever after to retain in that kingdom no more than the appearance of majesty the great men having proved by so sensible a trial the impotence of law and prerogative would return to their former licentiousness 
the preachers would retain their innate arrogance and the people unprotected by justice would recognize no other authority than that which they found to domineer over them england also it was much to be feared would imitate so bad an example and having already a strong propensity towards republican and puritanical factions would expect by the same seditious practices to attain the same indulgence to advance so far without bringing the rebels to a total submission at least to reasonable concessions was to promise them in all future time an impunity for rebellion on the other hand charles considered that scotland was never before under any of his ancestors so united and so animated in its own defence yet had often been able to foil or elude the force of england combined heartily in one cause and inured by long practice to the use of arms how much greater difficulty should he find at present to subdue by violence a people inflamed with religious prejudices while he could only oppose to them a nation enervated by long peace and lukewarm in his service or what was to be more dreaded many of them engaged in the same party with the rebels should the war be only protracted beyond a campaign and who could expect to finish it in that period his treasures would fail him and for supply he must have recourse to an english parliament which by fatal experience he had ever found more ready to encroach on the prerogatives than to supply the necessities of the crown and what if he receive a defeat from the rebel army this misfortune was far from being impossible they were engaged in a national cause and strongly actuated by mistaken principles his army was retained entirely by pay and looked on the quarrel with the same indifference which naturally belongs to mercenary troops without possessing the discipline by which such troops are commonly distinguished and the consequences of a defeat while scotland was enraged and england discontented were so dreadful that no motive should persuade him to hazard it end of section fourteen chapter fifty three part two recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington